couple of years ago, the Lonely Planet Travel Guide named the coolest neighbourhoods in the world. There were parts of Seattle, Copenhagen, Florence, Dubai. And alongside them, perhaps a bit surprisingly, was Tooting, which is where I am this morning. Tooting, according to the guide, has become an uber-cool neighbourhood without losing any of its gritty charm. Apparently it's got the best curry restaurants in the world, it's got an eclectic market, and in two commons it's got 200 acres of green space. So if the uber-cool lot are heading for Tooting, folk on foot needs to be behind them. We're here to meet the South London resident Lisa Knapp, who's one of the UK's most inventive and creative performers. Whether she's singing her own songs or rearranging traditional music and words, she brings a love of sound, a beautiful, clear voice, and a fresh approach to all she touches. You might have heard her exquisite setting of the words of Radio 4's shipping forecast, or reveled in her latest album of songs about the month of May, which is called Till April is Dead, A Garland of May, it features buzzing bees, chirping cuckoos and whirring clocks inventively woven into the fabric of the music. Today we're meeting her here on Tooting Common and I gather she's got some stories to tell and some songs to sing. Sound. <laughs> Morning. Hello. How are you? How lovely to see you. Lovely to meet you. Thank you for coming to me to see her. We've just had a lovely cup of tea and a custard tart yeah. here in the cafe. Yeah, Very it's nice. nice, isn't it? Should nice we go for a spot. walk? Let's go. So, were you born and brought up in Tooting? I was born in Ballam. Right. Gateway to the South. That's Peter as Sellers. Uh, as it's known. Is that what it did Peter he Sellers say that? sketch, yeah. There's a whole Peter Sellers sketch from the 50s where he goes, yeah. Balham, yeah. Gateway <laughs> to the South. That's it. <laughs> so I was born in there, uh, born at, at Balham. But yes, we lived for a while in Tooting Beck, further up that way. And when I was about five, we moved to Tooting Broadway. Right. Um, Big difference between Tooting Beck and Tooting Broadway um, for the uninitiated. Uh, there is a difference, there is a difference. <laughs> Just a bit further down the northern line. Right. Um, yeah, but there's so this magnificent common, mm. you know, with the 200 acres of green space here. Did you spend time here as a kid? I did, actually. My first memories of this common are riding lessons. Really? Yeah, there is the sort of remains of a partial sort of bridle path 
and a paddock and the riding school used to use that but I then in my teens was um, always every weekend to be found at a local city farm in Mitcham which is again a bit further down towards Sheep, towards that's Surrey. Kind of sheep, there goats. were sheep, goats, there were cows, um, rabbits, chickens, pond, and there was a riding school. So right. we were sort of doing, you know, horses and. and was there any music like in your life when you were a kid? Yes. My mum's family are all very musical. Um, although they sort of mostly taught themselves by ear, they did sort of play, and they still do, the remaining members play a boogie woogie and piano, and, you know, and it was. That would happen a lot at Christmas. And I suppose um, one of the things about growing up in an area like Tooting mm-hmm. is you take little interest in the history and culture of the place until much later in your life. Well, you know, it really struck me when you invited me to do this programme how little I actually know and how little actually we're taught about local areas in London. You know, we know a lot of history in London, you know, particularly sort of around royalty and big sort of political events and uh, stuff like that, obviously in the Thames. But actually, locally, it's, it's really only since the advent of the internet that, that a lot of information has become accessible. You know, you've got people sort of writing Wikipedia pages and there's, you know, local history groups and stuff on Facebook. and about uh, Are there area. songs from here? Well, um, I, for years I sang folk songs and, you know, hadn't really thought about that. But I, I was in a project which involved us going to the Bodleian Library in Oxford and uh, looking through ballads. It's like my ideal life. Uh, we only got That's to do it for... That's what you like to do, a, is yeah. it? In your spare time, yeah, you I go did, and sit in yeah, the library and look through ballads. through dusty papers. Yeah. And I came across this ballad called The Tooting Tragedy. It really rang a bell, obviously because it said tooting on it, but also because a, a couple of years previous, I happened to be walking around tooting with my daughter who was young at the time and there was a sort of local church fete on and a guy was giving local sort of history walk around the graveyard of the church and I sort of just tagged along and he started to talk about that there's a plaque there to the memory of I think over a hundred children that died during an outbreak of cholera at a children's home in the Victorian era in Tooting. So uh, can we walk to the graveyard from here? We can walk to the graveyard from here, yes. Let's do that, shall we? Let's let's walk along. Okay. Um, And and have you found other songs that relate to here? Well, I've certainly been looking. I mean, the very first song I ever found that mentioned a place that I was personally familiar with is the Lavender Song. The Lavender Song is a street cry uh, that was sung by people that sold lavender. And the song I found was in a massive book by a man called Peter Kennedy, who was uh, you know, quite a figure in folk song and folk collecting in the 20th century, mid-20th century. And uh, there's a beautiful book. And I was just strumming through it and just found this lavender song and it says, um, our lavender's fresh from Mitcham oh. and we're around once a day. And so, as I just said, I spent a lot of time in Mitcham at the city farm and the horse riding and stuff like that. So um, this would have been, this song was based on 
the cries of the sellers of the lavender. It was. They would sell it on the street, presumably. They would sell it on the street at uh, Covent Garden, you know, markets in London. And this particular one, it's quite elaborate compared to some of them that are just, you know, one-liners about fish or, you know, strawberries or whatever. So it's quite elaborate. So I think it's probably someone, you know, quite musical, just sitting on the stall, just getting a little bit bored of it, you know, just making up this song and, you know, really enjoying it, enjoying the song of it rather than just trying to flog the lavender. I don't know how much lavender they may be sold, but... Um, would, you, would you sing yeah. it for us? I will sing it for you, yes. Oh, squirrel, going under the tree. It's rather early for me to sing, I will Yeah, it say. is quite early in the morning, <laughs> isn't it, yeah, for a singer. Oh, won't you buy my sweet blooming lavender? There are sixteen blue branches, a penny all in full bloom. You buy them once, you'll buy them twice They make your clothes smell sweet nice Come all you young ladies And make no delay Our lavender's fresh from Mitchum and we're round once a day. Well, some are big and some are small. Please take them in and show them all. It was early. It was early this morning when the dew was a falling. I carried my sweet lavender from the valleys all in for bloom. Now is the time to scent your clothes and pocket handkerchief. And to keep those moths away Oh, won't you buy my sweet blooming lavender There are sixteen blue branches A penny all in full bloom That's fantastic. It is elaborate, isn't it? It is, it's yeah. Incredibly and you've got like, like little bits, you know, that kind of change rhythm. And I just love the image of him, her, picking the lavender in this sort of beautiful, sort of dewy morning in Mitcham. It's like, you know, it's it's great. It, it is wonderful. It is, and, yeah. and it feels like elaborate salespersonship, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it feels like, you know, put, you would definitely, yeah, you would definitely want yeah. to buy some, yeah. wouldn't you, if I you heard I that? Would definitely, yeah. <laughs> Let's walk on. Let's okay. walk on towards the, the church. Because I, I wanted to know how folk music 
grabbed you? Because mm. you said that you had this kind of musical tradition in the family, but that wasn't a folk music tradition. It wasn't at a all. folk music tradition in terms of the um, material, but it was quite sort of an oral culture. It wasn't, you know, people were. It, it, it was a natural thing, and they danced as well. So, so there was a sort of singing tradition and there was a kind of teaching you songs tradition. Yeah, I mean, also, I was incredibly lucky in the 70s to be at school when music wasn't considered something that only, you know, people that had the money can do. We had free music lessons. We were sort of rounded up. We were just asked, you know, do we want to play an instrument? My mum said, choose the fiddle. The violin. So I did. And were you aware that there was a folk tradition? No. Actually, I didn't really become aware of that um, until I sort of got a bit older, really. I mean, I, I'd actually jacked in music in my sort of mid-teens. I became sort of quite alienated from the whole classical tradition, really. But I really always loved pop music, and I would, you know copy down lyrics and sing along. So who along. are you listening to? And Madonna, Whitney Houston, yeah. it was sort of the golden years of, <laughs> of chart history, really, top of the pops, you know, 80s. So I did always have a relationship, a quite intense relationship to music, and I love singing. But then I took up the guitar again as a teenager, and I always tended towards listening to the more sort of acoustic tracks on a rock album, for instance, and I don't know, I just, something about those kinds of resonances um, that I, I really related to. And um, so then we sort of jump really to me being in my 20s, early 20s. And there was a folk club. Uh, at the time, it was in the Selkirk, which is in Tooting Broadway, just down just one of the side there. streets down on, that way. On the right, yeah. <laughs> there. In the Selkirk pub. Uh, in, in the Selkirk pub. One of those traditional ones Upstairs, in the top, yeah, yep. top room, obviously. I know, you know, it had been run by, you know, sort of a little committee, uh, mostly sort of a couple from the 70s, you know, so it was that. That so they've been of, part of um, the first folk revival. The first folk revival. So it was, you know, that thing, and you know, you've got your floor spots, and then there'd be a main act, and there'd be a raffle. So it's, yeah. you know, proper, typical folk club. And I, I really kind of fell in love with it, and it was odd because, like, there were so rarely anyone my age there, <laughs> yes. or even, even ten. You know, people were twenty years older. You know, nowadays there's loads of young people doing it in this country. In Ireland, uh, you know, it's been like that for a long time. So yeah, so But I, you fell in love with that ambience, that world, and presumably then with the songs. Yeah, so then I, well, I also took the fiddle out of the loft where it had lain for a few years, you know, gave it some TLC and started playing that. And then I sought out other, you know, workshops and teachers in London. There's a guy in North London called Pete Cooper who's been teaching fiddle. Irish, English, all sorts of uh, traditions for a long time. But then I went to Brendan Mulcair, and I think what really struck me about the traditional Irish fiddle playing is was kind of how unclassical it was. It was like a real... Um, it was just so lovely to hear these different tones and styles of playing, and, you know, people could be allowed to develop their own style rather than it 
be sort of you know inflicted upon them. These I are mean, the rules. it, it this seemed is the straight jacket. it, it yeah. felt it felt like that to me yeah. at, at the time, definitely. You freed um, up suddenly from I all that. I think so, yeah. And it, you know, sort of exploring different sort of ways of holding the violin and playing and listening differently. You know, and I, I really enjoyed that. I always really responded to sort of playing by ear as well. And obviously, it's an oral tradition, so. Yeah, so then I had a, sort of a period in my 20s where I just really, I was just drinking it. What was it about the tradition, do you think, that appealed so much to you? I think hearing people sing in a manner that was just totally natural, felt sort of more natural. You know, no sort of trans-mid-Atlantic accents. Songs about places that, you you know was sort of a lot nearer and relatable. So I, I think, you know, geography and history is, is really a big mm. part of folk music, that it has a tie to place uniquely, you know. I think I, I really love that about it. I also just love the sort of freedom of it in, in some ways. I mean, you know, there are rules and everything as well, like in any music. You know, if you look across Europe even, let alone across the rest of the world, and look at how people use their voices differently, you know, Hungarian female voice choirs. I mean, it's a completely different way of using the voice. And you know, an amazing sort of sound. You know, the Gaelic, um, Irish tradition, again, you know, really different way of producing sound in, in, in your, your head and your chest and your neck and, you know. And I love that. I love that idea and I love that kind of exploration that actually there's not one way of doing things. You know, there, there are lots of different amazing traditions to learn from. Oh, the times are hard and the wage is low. Leave a journey, leave a. Oh, the times are hard and the wage is low. It's time for us to leave her. Leave a journey, leave a, leave a journey, leave a, for the voyage is done and the wind it don't blow. It's time for us to leave a. So this is a, a song collected by a very f famous figure in the, I suppose, in the, in the first folk revival of the 40s, 50s and 60s. Mm. Uh, who, who was that? A man called A.L. Lloyd, Albert Lloyd, or Bert Lloyd, as he's known. He's a really instrumental figure in the whole story of uh, folk music in England again in the sort of mid-20th century and I found that Bert Lloyd was actually born and lived till he was four on a, a road called Trevelyan Road which was parallel to my road where I was in South London brought up in Tooting Broadway in Tooting and I actually had a paper round <laughs> <laughs> and I'd been delivering papers down this road for you know as a kid you know and just it's just one of those coincidences in life it's like oh my god 
My old mother, she wrote to me, leave a Johnny She wrote to me It's time for us to leave her I've got no money I've got no clothes Leave her, Johnny, leave her I've got no money I've got no clothes time for us to leave He was a journalist, a radio broadcaster, a, a sort of historian, a folklorist, spent time on a whaling ship, spent time in Australia, uh, on a sheep farm, and came back to Britain just sort of before the war. He was a staunch socialist and he had a huge love for folk song and not just for folk song but also for the people that made it, a real regard for those that made and sang folk song. And he's known for sea shanties, he, he recorded many with various different people and obviously he was on the sea himself. quite involved with uh, the EFDSS, English Folk Dance and Song Society. I think he had strong views there, didn't he? he had strong views he about did. the prettification of folk music. And yes, he, he wanted yeah. to revolt against that. He did, and he also was quite instrumental, I think, at the time in trying to change attitudes within sort of, uh, you know, the BBC at that point about the correctness of singing, you know, and that actually in these different traditions, you know, people have different ways of doing things and that's part of what's beautiful about it. We'll leave her when we get into town Leave her, Johnny, leave her We'll leave her when we get to town it's time for us to leave her, leave her, Johnny, leave her, leave her, Johnny, leave her, for the voyage is done. Oh, look! 
that? Tortoise. There's a tortoise on a on a log here, isn't there? It's a tortoise. Well, I've never seen a tortoise in here, so that's extraordinary. Yeah. I think it's a terrapin, isn't it? Do you think it's, it's a think it's amphibious in some way? Because it, it tosses a tortoise. Because <laughs> it's out there in, in, in the, you know, it's not actually on land here, it's on a log yeah. in the middle of the water. Wow. Just sort of moving its head from side to side, gently taking in the view, but I suspect it might be a bit mystified as to what's happened to it. It's looking everywhere. <laughs> That is because I've never ever seen in all my years a tortoise, a terrapin. We took the Metcom and there we go. And what's this one called? This is called Broomfield Hill. And uh, I think I first heard Steely Span or something do a version of this. Um, but it's a wonderful story. And it's very. Um, you know, you look at these trees and the little secluded places um, and the darkness, I mean, just even looking in there, this is a common and it's not got huge woodlands, but just, you know, the darkness in there. In is there, it? Yeah, it? Yeah, you yeah. can see it's like, you know, so in times when a lot more of the you know, area was like that, these kinds of songs, I think, you know, I think we should creep really into ring. a dark place to sing it. Yes, that might, yeah, why don't we do that? Yeah, hey. A bit of atmosphere. Uh, it might be a bit quieter um, if a little nettily, there's a fence in that one. Um, there's actually quite a nice little spot here uh, where you sort of go in under some trees and there's a circle. It feels quite magical actually if we, if we find the right spot just in under here it's <laughs> something going on here isn't it yeah here, these, these are oak trees boxes. i think yes and yeah. the branches are just spreading out horizontally yeah creating a canopy over where we're standing yeah this be a good place really to sing nice. it? yeah let's see it here shall we so um it's a song about uh, uh, a wealthy man who challenges a young not very wealthy maid to go to the green woods and he says I bet you 500 times 500 pounds that you won't come out there with your maidenhead and she says all right you're on and little does he know that she casts some sort of spell and it just makes him sleep and she then you know jiggles a few things about on his person to let him know that she's been there and then he wakes up you know in a real rage but she's come out on top with the money and uh, it's all good so Excellent. it's a you know women often don't come off that well in folk song uh, this is uh, you know an instance where where she certainly the had the, in charge. she certainly had the upper hand on this on this tale yeah Away, Joe, away, Joe, with you, pretty maid. Five hundred pounds to your ten. That maid, you will go to your merry green broom. But a maid, and you shall not return. Away, Joe, away, Joe, with you, kind sir. 
your five hundred pounds to my ten. That maid I will go to yon merry green broom, and the maiden I boldly will return. When that she's come to the merry green broom, she saw a true love fast in the sleep, with a fine finish. Rose and a new suit of clothes, and a bunch of green broom at his feet. Three times did she walk round the crown of his head, three times round the sole of his feet. Three times she kissed his red and rosy cheeks. While he lay fast in the sleeve, then she took a gold ring from off of her hand. She placed it all on his right thumb, and that was to let her true love for to know that she had been there and was gone. When that he awoke from his drowsy, drowsy sleep, he found his true love had been there and gone. It was then that he remembered upon the cost when he thought of the wager that he lost. Three times did he call for his horse and his man. His horse he once bought so dear. Why did you not wake me from out of my sleep when the lady, my true love, she was near? Three times did I call for you, master, my dear. Three times did I blow on my horn. But out of that sleep, I could not you away till your lady, your true love, was gone. Had I been awake when my true love she was near, over I would have had my fill. If not the pretty birds in the merry green broom. Of a blood, they would all have had their fill. Little bird joined in with you. It did, yes. Oh. Nice to have some backing vocals, isn't it? It's lovely, yeah. <laughs> well, that was beautiful, Lisa. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? And a grisly finish. Um, yes. <laughs> but she, she, she managed to. That one, so yeah. it's a good, so it's good, good ending. feminist story it as well. Is, yeah. <laughs> Let's walk on to the church, okay? Um, because I also want to talk about the way you record your music because mm. um, we're not really getting the full impression of what you do on an album. Because mm. it seems to me that you're you're a bit like us in a way, we're looking for sound, you know, we're looking for mm. um, the, the birds, the yeah. natural world. And when you did your album of songs about May, yeah. You had buzzing bees and you yeah. had 
clocks whirring. Mm. And all. Do, do you just go around collecting sounds? Um, I did collect some of those sounds, yes. The, uh, the bees uh, I collected from my garden. Um, and some of them I found online, really. There's a fantastic open source website called freesound.org. And people just upload recordings, you know, and some of them are crap and some of them are fantastic. And, but, you know, you type in anything and you will literally find someone who has recorded it, you know, off a balcony in Finland at four in the morning. And it's just like, it's a fantastic uh, resource for uh, sounds. But do you start with a sound and then marry it to a song or do you start with a song um, and then look for sounds to illustrate it or is it a bit of both? Um, I think I start... I. I Really, I always start with the song um, and what the song, you know, I try to sort of develop it in a sort of, yeah, let's kind of go, go parallel to the path, it'd be quieter, um, to what the song, you know, what I feel the song um, merits, actually we'll probably have we'll to go, go right back here, round around that, the pond. Around the yeah. pond and, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I, I do love, uh, you know, found sounds it's certainly something I, I enjoy working with um, and when you did the shipping forecast there was the yeah. sea of well, course there was the sea but also um, again I found that online I found this beautiful 1950s American Navy recording of uh, from a submarine and they were recording sounds of you know porpoises and submarine and it's got you know, this beautiful sort of American accent announcing each thing I just found it somewhere online and I wanted to um, to kind of make a world uh, under the sea for that you know it, it, it so we felt like we were immersed know, under the sea I, I, I'm sort of chanting the sort of uh, the, the, the shipping forecast names and so yeah I wanted to just make that sound world of under the sea and it, and it fitted perfectly just to kind of make a a, a world. Mm. So, where, so are we, yeah. where are we coming to well, now? From the Lisa. library. So we're going to come into a little roundabout on Church Road. We can just carry on down Church Road and the church is at the bottom. And that's where we're going to meet Rex. Yeah. Tell me about Rex. Is he he's somebody who knows a lot about so the Rex history? So Rex is a local councillor. He's a local historian and he has lived in Tooting for a number of years. And I first came across him, as I say, um, when he was delivering a, a local walkabout tour of the graveyard of St Nicholas Church, which is, you know, stone's throw from. You can't beat a good graveyard really. tour, can you? Because oh, all love the human life is there, yeah. isn't it? And well, all history is there. Yeah. You know, I mean, all, I say all, all the human, human life, obviously, all human death is there. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, but no, you, when you read the right, headstones, yeah. you learn yeah. about the life, don't you? So Lisa, we've come to St Nicholas Churchyard and we've met Rex Osborne. Rex, welcome. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Hello, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you for coming. And, and Rex, you're here because you, you know about local history and you can tell us about the Tooting tragedy. Where and when did that happen? OK, so up by Tooting Broadway tube station, there used to be a big house called Surrey Hall. In the 1840s, it becomes uh, what's called a pauper asylum or pauper academy set up by a man called Druitt. Uh, before that had been a school, but uh, in the 1840s, the idea was that the poor law unions who ran the workhouses around London would pay Druitt four shillings and sixpence per child 
to put the children in this so-called academy where they would learn a trade and be looked after. What uh, sort of a place was it? It was rough. Uh, what Drew it did was uh, he took over the house and lived in it himself a bit. He turned the back where there had been some classrooms when it was a school, he turned those into bunk houses for the boys and put the girls in a part of the house. By 1848, which is just before the time of the tragedy, he'd got about 1,300 children in the establishment. It must have been incredibly crowded. It would have been very, very crowded for the kids. Poor sanitation, poor diet. There was a farm out the back. Uh, he dug a trench all the way around it, and that became a huge open sewer. Mm, now, that was, uh, wasn't unheard of in those days, but it would nevertheless have been very unsanitary. So what was the tragedy? We'd come to 1848 and there was an outbreak of cholera and hundreds of the children died. So many of the children died that we're not entirely sure what the full, uh, how, what the full scale of the tragedy was. Any estimates? The estimate is, uh, and there are varying estimates, but I go with about 250. About 250 children died, and over 100 of them are buried in this churchyard here. I, I presume that this must have been, even in those days, a huge story and a, and a huge scandal. Was, was Druitt ever brought to account? Well, the, there was an anonymous journalist writing these stories up. We know now that that was Charles Dickens. Uh, so there was some coverage. This is, what, this is what Charles Dickens said in a letter to the examiner about this school. Brutally conducted, vilely kept, preposterously inspected, dishonestly defended, a disgrace to a Christian community and a stain upon a civilised land. Mm. Which is very powerful stuff, isn't it? It is. Do you start to get inquests for the dead children? But he, he, but was, was he, he was put on trial? Not guilty, wasn't he? Well, Drew? there was a trial. The justice was a man called Baron Platt. He, uh, you can read the court case. It was at the Old Bailey. You can read it on the internet, and if you read through the passages of the court case, you can see that Platt is very sympathetic towards Druitt. Mm -hmm. And in the end, he directed the jury to find Druitt not guilty, and Druitt got off. It's an incredible story. Um, it's horrendous. You, you can't really listen to that without just feeling terribly sad for such a thing to have happened. And I just thought how strange that nobody knows about this, I, apart from the local historian. <laughs> but um, I, I was quite astonished that I'd probably walked past this place millions of times and didn't know about such a a huge story and such a sad story and then a couple of years later I was in the Bodleian Library researching ballads for another project leafing through these wonderful collection, collections of original printed sheets and I came across this uh, tooting tragedy and it was about this very story and I you know to see a song written about it and it's amazing, actually, how much detail is in the song mm. from the actual story, mm. even, even the amount that they had to pay, four and six 
Mm. It mentions in the, and, the lyrics. It, it tells us something about the role of the songs, doesn't it? Because the, the role of the songs was presumably to pass news. It, it, that is one of the major roles of these songs at that point. And there seems to be a tradition of writing songs about real events and singing them mm. in that era. You know, and they'd sell them to sort of for penny sheets, and someone would uh, go along, you know, outside a market or, you know. Um, previous to that public executions or you know wherever there would be people and sell these ballads and sing them they often you know obviously because it's just the lyrics on a sheet of paper so sometimes they would say to the melody of and they would mention a you know a, a tune that presumably everybody knew so there was obviously a currency of tunes at that point that so, people just passed on. So have you had to put a, a tune to this? I have, because there are no instructions as to the tune that one should <laughs> sing it to. Um, but this seems to have a sort of chorus. Um, and it was printed in Seven Dials area of London. Which is near Covent Garden, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, yeah, which is a real sort of print centre uh, in, in that kind of uh, era. Would you care to sing it for us? I will sing it, yes. You tender mother's parents dear, I pray you listen to me while I unto you will unfold the tooting tragedy. It's of those poor young girls and boys who died the other day where two hundred lost their lives all through neglect they say then think of those young children and with grief your heart must fail the master is to trial sent for using them so ill. They from the unions were sent down and some had parents dear. Oh, what a sight for to behold, to see their children there. When asked if they'd enough to eat, poor things they answered no. With wasted form and hungry looks, it filled their hearts with woe To see a child the mother went The child to her did say I bought some bread I hungry was Half the nurses here today with some half pence you gave to me, the mother drooped her head. Was on Friday that you spoke to her. By Sunday she lay dead. 
Now these poor children, it appears, they were used very hard. They ate the potato peelings that were thrown about the yard. They did not get enough to drink and with very little meat. They dare not cry or say a word for fear they would get beat. Now four and sixpence was allowed each week for all sent there. They might have kept them better, not have starved them as we hear. It was the cause of all the deaths, the want of food and air. They ought to have been kinder to the children that was there. A doctor he was asked to tell the cause of death so great. A little boy he answered, sir, we have not enough to eat. They whack us if we say we're dry, the meat is dry and hard. If there's anything it up that strays about the yard. Oh, think of those young children with grief your heart must fill. The master eased a trial sent for using them so ill. Now boys and girls of tender years, they want a deal of care. To be well fed and proper clothed, else why are they sent there? If they are poor, is that a crime that they should be so ill To those that pay, they ought to know how their money is abused. So think on those young children with grief your heart must fill. The mastery to trial sent for using them so ill. Well, so it's incredibly poignant to mm. hear you sing that song here in the graveyard where a hundred of those children are buried. Does it, it is, make you yeah, feel emotional? It does, it does make I could start crying quite easily now yeah it does but you know in a way you these kinds of, you know you sing it for them and 
it's you know you you try and make forgotten. it not happen again They're and not forgotten. children are so vulnerable and you know we hear this story sadly repeated throughout history and now you know when we look at situations throughout the world so yeah it is important to tell their story and to you know really realize the horror of putting profits over the care of human beings so it's yeah very interesting to hear the song too because the song is very clearly from a point of view of disapproval you know it's a it's a call to action isn't it it's just saying this is wrong this is wrong this is Absolutely. a scandal yeah. and this man should be sent to trial Absolutely. you know so it's a campaigning yeah. song in, in that uh, sense yeah it really is it's a powerful example of what you do by exhuming these songs by giving them a new and fresh life mm. you remember mm. the people who they were originally written about absolutely i mean that's what i love about folk music you know and it's bigger than us as well you know people who haven't been born yet will sing these songs and it's just yeah it, it, it as you say really evocative and and really poignant and you know has relevance people are always saying oh is folk music still relevant of course it is you know it's just telling human stories and uh this is a real human story so yeah lisa it's been wonderful to walk with you thank you very and much you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much thank, thank you, you. Lisa Knapp in Tooting. Well, if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe or follow us to make sure you get all our episodes just as soon as they're launched. And please rate and review us so others can find us. If you'd like to make a small monthly donation to help us produce more wonderful episodes, you can become a patron by going to folkonfoot.com and clicking on Support Us. There are five other episodes in Season 3 of Folk on Foot, featuring the Unthanks on the Northumberland coast, the Lost Words spell songs with Jackie Morris and Beth Porter in Pembrokeshire, Martin Simpson in Scunthorpe, Duncan Chisholm at Sandwood Bay, and John Smith in Brixham. And the 12 episodes of Seasons 1 and 2, featuring more amazing artists, are still there if you haven't heard them yet. To keep up with the latest information, you can sign up for our newsletter at folkonfoot.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram with the handle at folkonfoot. We hope you enjoy listening to Folk on Foot just as much as we love making it. <laughs> <laughs>